Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Welcome to The First Cut. I'm Greg Ducharme, joined today by Kyle Porter and Mark Immelman. And the Sony Open is over. And boy, did that take a little while, but um, but it has ended in a playoff and a, a big victory by Cameron Smith over uh, over Brendan Steele. And it was quite the uh, quite the tournament to end. And that 18th hole, there was some crazy stuff going on. But but gentlemen, how are we doing this evening? Tired of playoffs. I'm already tired of playoffs. And we're just two weeks into the 2020 season. That's right, and, and it's the second one in a row. And I think last year, in the 2019 calendar year, there there was like zero playoffs or something like that. I think I remember hearing that last year. But, Kyle, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I, I, I remember hearing that, too. I think it might have been 18-19 PGA Tour season because there was oh, okay. there were playoffs at the end of 19. Um, but, yeah, I it, it's it, it's almost like – we had, it's all or nothing, right? It's either none or like every tournament is going to end in a playoff. That 18th hole felt like that felt like a tournament, like within a tournament. It was, uh, it was a, it was a long wait that I'm sure to Brendan Steele felt like a, uh, about a three hour wait that was, you know, 15 minutes between, between the time he hit his tee shot and his second shot. So, uh, a wild ending. I thought Steele had it wrapped up after 11, uh, when he hold out the bunker shot and then, uh, just kind of came unrivaled at the very end. So I got to start today with a, a little story here. Um, my my wife, many years ago, but well before she knew me, went to Hawaii with her parents. And while she was in Hawaii, this old myth that everybody there is telling them, don't take sand from the beach. You can't take sand from the beach. It's a curse. You can't take any anything from the island. It's a, a Hawaiian way, I guess. And so they, of course, didn't listen. And they take some sand and they have it in a bottle because every time they went on vacation, this is something they did. And as they were sort of leaving the the beach, all this crazy stuff started happening. A terrible storm rolled in. There was like a car accident. It was like this crazy uh, scenario that happened towards the end. And she said, "There's a real there's a real curse. If you take sand from Hawaii, it's a it's a curse." And I swear, somebody went out onto the 18th green, went into a bunker, and took a handful of sand and got on a flight because it was cursed out there. I mean, you you can't make up what happened. You start off with Webb Simpson, who's down one, hitting the tee shot he did on 18, and then Ryan Palmer's in the bunker, and he, he hits it off a, uh, off the top of the TV, and it, and it goes out of play. You can't find it. You can't make it up. What, what did you think, Mark? Well, how about the weather? Oh, my, my goodness gracious. It was like monsoons rolled through the through the Honolulu area for the week, and, and the PGA Tour – Advanced stuff did a tremendous uh, job of 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 getting this thing in 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 regulation time. I mean, there was concerns at one stage through the final round here that Mark Russell mentioned if there was any more rain, it would fall. There was a very good chance we were going to make it a Monday finish. So 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 that was kind of crazy. And that fitted with your curse because the one time I've been out there, Wailai is normally firm, fast. Um, you work hard to keep the ball in the fairways on these tight dog legs. 
and you've got to sort of gear down off a number of tees, and so it's a placement-type golf course where that was wet, was receptive. I mean, guys playing into these greens were, were unable to keep the balls in the correct tiers, and so par all of a sudden became a good score. I mean, 11 under par is kind of crazy for this event, so... It was all sort of nuts, um, but, you know, it's just a, a follow-on to what happened in Maui where we were having four seasons in a day every day. So it was crazy, but it was – honestly, um, I was pulling for Brendan Steele. He's a good buddy and a heck of a player who's went through the doldrums some. But for Cam Smith to break through was kind of exciting, especially what he, given what he and Leishman and all the Aussies have been doing for fundraising efforts for the relief for the Australian brush fires. Yeah, you're absolutely right. A couple things you mentioned there I find interesting. Um, one, the soft conditions making par a good score. Typically on the PGA Tour, when conditions get soft, these guys tear it up. And I was expecting with a little bit lighter winds and some rain uh, and softening the golf course, I was expecting Sunday to be a day where everybody was making birdies. And it was quite the opposite. I mean, you look down this leaderboard, and on the final day, I mean, Lanto Griffin was out early. He made a big jump up to – uh, a, a tie for seventh, shooting six under. Graham McDowell shot six under. He was out there early. The the, the late groups really had a difficult time uh, kind of taking advantage of the soft conditions. And maybe that's just something to do with the fact that it was actually raining and, and so inconsistent with the weather. Yeah, yeah. you know, well, sorry, Kyle. Um, the, the thing, too, is they're small greens. There were a lot of undulation on them. And and when you get some water on that that, uh, that Bermuda grass, it's sort of hard to control flowers. And so you're in the fairway. You're playing defense, even though you're playing lift clean in place, because if you hit a jet, you, you're struggling to make a par. Then So you hit one in there, a little defensive, if you will, hits the wrong side of a slope and spins 30, 40 feet away from the cup. So getting the ball close, even though it's a scoring golf course, was hard. And and so I think some of that, in coupled with the crosswinds, was making it very hard. Yeah, I I agree, and I and I think it seemed like nobody putted very well on on Sunday, and and I think that's kind of counterintuitive to what we would normally think. You, you, if you just gave somebody, if you gave one of us a scenario, hey, super soft greens, uh, traditionally uh, course guys score on, what do you think is going to happen? And we'd be like, well, they're going to everybody's going to make every putt, and. It felt like you didn't see any putts made. I mean, from, from the, the stuff that I watched, which was most of the final round, and you saw that in, I mean, Brendan Steele made what, 29 feet or 31 feet of putts or something like that. Colin Morikawa, uh, three putts, the 18th from seven feet. I mean, it was just, it was, uh, I, I felt like that was all over the place. And so that's, that's the part where I think when you think about a soft course, you, you think about that's how people, that's how guys score. And they just didn't do it that way on Sunday. Brendan Steele, you mentioned the putting uh, on Sunday. Brendan Steele gained 3.4 strokes gained putting on uh, on both Thursday and Friday. On Saturday, he gained 2.6. On Sunday, he lost 3.6. Talk about a roller coaster swing there. I mean, I, I guess part of it is when it gets soft, you get a lot of spike marks. And I'm guessing they're a little bit more chewed up than they typically would be. Mark mentioned the undulations and the greens being a little difficult. So I, I think you combine spike marks, undulating greens, that are also slow. And when they're, when greens are a little bit slower and it's difficult because of the weather, it's difficult to keep them up to, up to pace for many reasons. But when, when greens get slow and they look like they have a lot of break, it can be really difficult to play less break. You, you see the break. You're used to seeing a putt that's a, a cup out, break a full cup. But because they're so slow, 
it's difficult to make it for one. It's hard to get it to the hole. And then if you're going to get it to the hole, you got to play so much less break than your eye is used to seeing. What do you make of that, Mark? Well, I saw a very interesting statistic. I think it was from Mark Brody who shared it with me. He's like, on fast greens, uh, greens PGA Tour players are going to make more short putts, but the incidence of three putts will be higher. On slow greens, there'll be fewer three putts, but there'll be uh, fewer short putts made also. So it was a little bit of that. Um, for Brendan Steele specifically, I mean, I don't think he made anything over six feet in the final round. And it's just hard to your point, you know, when you're having to hit harder, it's hard to commit to, you know, the correct pace. And obviously, as everyone well knows, um, if, if, if the PGA Tour player was to pick line over pace, they'd go with pace every single time. So it was hard to judge the speed uh, from that sort of mid-range length. And so as a result, I think the guys were just burning a bunch of edges. Now, when we got into, uh, well, on the 18th hole, we got onto the final hole, and I mentioned some of the craziness that happened with Webb Simpson hitting an uncharacteristic tee shot that I think is a tee shot that probably favors him, and then uh, Ryan Palmer hitting the shot he did out of the fairway bunker with the lost ball. You had guys squeegeeing the greens on 18 because of all the moisture. There's very little you can do about that, um, but it all it, it led to massive backups, and all of a sudden, Brendan Steele misses a, a short putt on 17 to make it an interesting tournament quite frankly i mean you made it all of a sudden cam smith webb simpson those guys are, are one shot back and it takes a little over 12 minutes after after brendan Steele leaves that green to hit his tee shot he then stripes it down the middle of the fairway uh and, and a perfect tee shot answering cam smith who also hit a perfect tee shot which after a tough wait is not an easy thing to do but then it gets interesting. Not If a 12-minute wait wasn't long enough for you, you got it on the next shot. Because now Brendan Seal has to wait 15 minutes from uh, to hit that approach shot. That is forever. It may as well be an hour at that point in time. And i, I got to figure uh, Cameron Smith, who's a shot behind, has a little advantage over a Brendan Steele who's who's sitting on a lead. What do you think about that, cop? Yeah, I, it, it was interesting at the end. I, I, I really, th- I think going back to, you mentioned the putt on 17 that Steele missed. That, I mean, going to 18 with a one shot lead versus a two shot lead, especially on a par five. I mean, that is just, that's such a big difference. I, I think, you know, we were, we were talking about Steele's shot into 18 and how bad it was. But the real thing, the real shot on 18 for me, I mean, Cam Smith out of the bunker, that was not an easy shot and he had to carry it a long way. And then he had to make the putt, and it, and it was just the whole day was choppy, right? Like there was no rhythm to it. Everybody's just kind of all over their place. Uh, nobody's really playing that. I mean, the scoring average is like sixty-eight point eight, I think. So nobody's really playing great. Nobody's scoring well. And so for him in that moment to hit that bunker shot and then to pour in the putt to get into the playoff, that that was big time. And I think you know, I think all the the eyeballs or all the Buzz will be about the shot that Steele hit in, but I, I, that, the shot out of the bunker, uh, to me for, for, uh, Cam Smith was the one that, that was really big. What'd you think of that shot, Mark? Oh, it was sensational. For me, it was one of the two shots of the day. Um, the other, the other one, incidentally, was a bunker shot also. It was the one that Carl pointed out that, um, was from a plug lie short of 11 in the center. Yeah. And that Steele- was crazy. Yeah, I mean, that was nuts. You, you think the events wrapped up to Carl's point from there, but, you know, it's 72 holes. And, and the one thing, the, the, the shot that, uh, that Cam Smith hit out of the bunker was sensational. It was great. But the thing that impressed me about him was his demeanor 
Finch throughout the final round and he was back, he was back of the lead some, but he never looked like he tried to force the issue. He just kept on playing his deal and was almost, there, there was an eerie sense of calm about him and when he knocked the putt in, you know, he's a pretty softly spoken guy, but you would figure there'd be a bigger reaction, a bit, some sort of fist pump, but he was like, yeah, just, you know, sort of acknowledge the gallery, very, very demure, honestly, and, and, and it was like he knew this was going to happen and, and I can only sort of point back to a pretty big uh, President's Cup that he had late in 2019, including a singles victory over Justin Thomas, which has got to put something in terms of uh, confidence in, in, in one's backpack. So he, he looked very comfortable and, and very much in control throughout a tough day and didn't have his best stuff. But, man, when 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 the, the sledding got tough, he delivered when he needed to. You know, you mentioned the President's Cup, which I, Justin, the win over Justin Thomas, you know that's a big win when it happens. But when Justin Thomas goes out and wins the Century Tournament of Champions, and everybody is basically talking about how he's making a push to be the number one player in the world, that's got to give you even an extra boost of confidence. It was almost like, because the Americans won the President's Cup, it was almost like that match was forgotten about. And you know Cam Smith was sitting there as confident as could be. Uh, it was one of the, I, I mentioned him actually on, on Tuesday when we were talking with, uh, when I was talking with Rick about who to pick this week. Cam Smith was a guy that popped up in a particular price range because of, just because of that, um, that moment you mentioned, the President's Cup that he played was, uh, was, was quite good. And the, those team matches have a funny way of helping players in their careers. A- after they play on a President's Cup or a Ryder Cup team, and they, they, it's like they prove something to themselves. And then they go out and they'll win a tournament or, or contend in a major or something along those lines. I think Camp Smith has found a new, a new boost of confidence. Um, but it, the, another thing that struck me about Camp Smith on the 18th hole, when Brendan, uh, when Brendan Steele got that drop, Camp Smith was very calm, but, but the announcers were saying, man, Camp Smith's got to be one or he gets to drop it there. What, what did you think of that drop he got to take? Kyle. <laughs> I know you got something out of this, Kyle. Come on. You want me to lead this off? <laughs> yeah, uh, lead this off. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, it seems unfair, right? It seems like, wow, you just hit a shot that I would hit out there, and you get to play from a clear line 50 yards away or whatever it was. But I, I don't know, like, is the is the other option going over the the grandstand? I mean, what what do you do at like a? I don't know. I get. I guess you could do that, and it's like, well, don't hit it over there. You got to go over the grandstand, but that gets a little Mickey Mouse for me, I guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's not. And and here's the thing. Like when you have golf that it that, where there's a ton of fans, there's a ton of spectators, and you have to have grandstands. You're gonna run into situations like this where there's no great answer. There, there's just not a good way to do it. And so I, I don't know that, you know, it seemed weird and like completely unfair, but it, it, it wasn't. And I don't know what the alternative is. Well, look on the PGA tour, every single one of the players, and you learn quickly enough to, to say that the temporary movable obstruction, the TIO as they call it, is a real thing. And in practice rounds, when you identify holes where it could be down, or it could be firm, you, you look for areas. If you're going to bang it through the back of the green, you bang it into the grandstand or the spectator stands because you're going to get relief in a, in a certain area. So it becomes a part of the game, and there's just honestly no other way to deal with it. Um, you, you hit the ball against the grandstand, you're going to get relief or, or your full line of sight relief. So it's a known thing. 
I don't think. I think that was a bit dramatic by some of the announcers where they're like, well, what's Cam Smith thinking now that Brendan Smith's going to have a third? Cam Smith knew he was going to have a third when he's standing there. He just for, for me, it was more a pace of play issue because I'm sure Cam was like, all right, I've got the leg up here. Let's try and get this thing done. So um, it is what it is on the tour, and there's going to be folks that have something to say about it, but everyone uses that thing to their advantage at least once a week, I promise you. But, but I think there's a, there's also a difference between using it to your advantage where you're in, you're in a bad lie and you're just trying to bang one off the, the back grandstand versus what he did, which was, which was he was not trying to do that. He was in the middle of the fairway. He's trying to get it on the green, and, and, he, and he didn't. So I... I, I I have more empathy for this situation than I do when somebody is in, you know, like a hanging lie behind a tree and just tries to bang one off the backboard and, and try to get it to ricochet somewhere. That That's the situation that it's like, I don't know, is this is this what we actually want it to be? It, it well, seems a little odd, right? Go, go ahead, Mark. Well, no, I mean, yes, I, I hear you, Carl, and I appreciate your, your your bleeding heart a little bit over there. But 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 it is what it is. He had a bad shot. He got a fortunate break. You know, this happens in golf. It's called rubber the green. I, I've seen plenty of good shots. Heck, I mean, down the road we'll be at the Players' Championship where you stand there on 17. I remember um, Len Matisse. I remember Sean O'Hare getting good shots that missed the green because of a gust of wind. We saw it last week at the uh, at the uh, Maui event, the Century Tournament of Champions, where um, Xander Shoffley's basically got two putts to win. It's a putt that gets an Augusta wind and go, runs eight feet by and he misses the next and so he's in a playoff. So it's golf. Uh, this, this sort of stuff happens. It, it just is, it's the nature of the game on the PGA Tour. The, the difficulty of the solution too is it, cause I, I understand your point. There's a difference, like you were saying, Kyle, between using it as a backboard and hitting it a hundred yards offline like Brandon Steele did tonight. And, but the, the line of sight is a, is a difficult thing for the tour because you, you have to protect the safety of the players. And yeah. you also have to, right? There's one instance where you're 50 yards offline. You, he could probably hit it over the grandstands and, and it would probably be okay, but you have to worry about the people that are sitting there. And the other thing is at what point is it? Well, you can hit it over the grandstands. If you're right up against it, well, that that wouldn't be fair. But if it, if you're 50 yards away, is it 10 yards away, 20 yards away? It's a it's a real difficult solution. And I, I like Mark's answer here with rub of the green. I think this is just the way that it is. And everybody understands that these are here well before the tournament is put in place. They are uh, they're they're there for practice rounds. They're they're there months before in many cases. So it's something that is to be expected. Um, definitely part of the game. It's just this is an extreme case. This is you're not we're not used to seeing players hit it that far offline on the final hole of a tournament. But at the same time, we're also not used to seeing them wait 15 minutes to hit that shot. So I, I, there are a lot of factors at play here that make this story probably a, a social media story. That is, I think it's going to end up being a one and done story. I don't think this is a chronic issue on the PGA Tour. I don't think it's anything that really needs to be solved. I tell you what, uh, no one knows for sure, but I'm pretty convinced, judging by how he was playing and how Brendan Steele has played when he's had the lead. Uh, both times at Safeway, I was on the call, and and that's a single foul golf course coming down the stretch there. And he hit the ball in the fairway and on the green a bunch. And his iron play today through the final round, bar the final hole, was I think real sharp. I mean, coming into 16, it's a gem. It's a beautiful off the tee and it's a gem into the heart of the green. Same thing on 15. Was unfortunate to not make the birdie there. And those, those are two demining holes. So I'm, I'm thinking, or I have the inclination and I could, you could make the argument to say, 
if he didn't have to wait for 15 minutes because the Golf Channel had the clock on the weights, I guarantee you he gets up there with that long iron and hits the thing somewhere short right, if not on the green. It probably gets it up and down, and that's that. So, so there, there were conspiring circumstances against the shot too. You mentioned you mentioned his ability to hit the ball um, on some. He hit it very straight, like you were saying at the Safeway Open in that bowling alley style golf course. There, well, we saw it in the playoff too. He was able to hit the fairway when Cam Smith wasn't. And while I was watching that, I was thinking, well, on this tenth hole, this is a big advantage for Brent, uh, for Cameron Smith to actually hit it into the rough, assuming he didn't have a root issue or or too much tree trouble because when, when you're in the fairway on that hole, we saw it, we saw it in regulation player after player landing it very close to the flagstick and spinning it back down that ridge. Uh, and then when Cam Smith is under the trees over there and in the rough, he's forced to play a low running shot and he gets it up there uh, close and, and really put the pressure on Brendan Steele. Uh, what did you think of the, the playoff hole there and the shot that Brendan Steele hit into the green? Mark, we'll start with you. <laughs> I was going to give it to Kyle. Um, yeah. it's, it's te- that 10th hole is deceptively difficult. It's pretty, it, the straightaway par four or the straightaway hole just in general is always difficult to pick a, a line and it's wet and, and you're going extra time now and, and you come in there and, and I was surprised to see um, Cam Smith miss the ball off to the right, but to your point, it turned out to be advantageous. Um, the on-course guy, Jim McCarr, said he thought that there was perhaps mud on the backside of the golf ball, but um, that, that uh, in the end, it turned out well. Um, I was surprised, honestly, at the second shot that um, Brendan Steele hit from just outside of 110 yards, whatever it was, from in the fairway. I mean, to miss that thing long, I understand the holes cut back there and you had to manage spin and such. But but you've got to give the putter a chance. You can't be missing the target from that sort of range. So um, in the end, it worked out well that Cam Smith hit it in the rough, but I, I promise you he wasn't trying to. I don't think that was strategic at all. Yeah, that, that, that felt like a, a little bit of a situation where uh hasn't been there a ton before and, and isn't used to managing the adrenaline a little bit. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there wasn't a ton of adrenaline. We'd be, I feel like we'd be on the same two holes for like two hours, so maybe that's what it felt like to him too. But it just felt like he 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 should have clubbed down because of the situation, and he just didn't. And, and maybe that's incorrect, but that's what it that's what it seemed like in viewing it. Because Mark's right, you can't go long there. If you go long, you're you're. I mean, it's just. It's such a difficult up and down. You're you're kind of dead back there, and he did, and and I just it felt like a it felt like a mistake that he shouldn't have made in that situation. Well, yes, you're, the thing. Uh, sorry, Greg. Um, no, go ahead. As I saw it, you know that now it's the golf teacher in me coming out, so forgive me. Um, I'm a recovering golf instructor. <laughs> it looked to me like he was trying to flat one down, and he did pick extra club, and he just. The, the technique that he employs, he's got a very strong grip, very strong club face. And so as a result, you've got to rotate pretty hard to keep that face from flashing over in front of you. And he went from hitting a real rolling draw early in his career to actually hitting a bit of a sliding fade shot, Brendan Steele this is. So now he tries to flight one down. The body just stalls just ever so slightly. The club gets beefed up through contact. So the thing gets delofted and the ball goes farther. So I, I, I'm not so sure it was management of adrenaline there. I think perhaps... In a situation like that, Brendan Steele, because we saw it more often than not, where there was club selections made on the par three, that he would always be like one iron less than the guys he was playing alongside. So it speaks to a guy who likes to hit the ball hard when he's under pressure. 
Then he's caught in a situation with a backhole location, cut on a plateau, green that's spinning like a banshee, and he's trying to flight one in there. And with his technique, that was just going to be hard. So it, it was an unfortunate situation to be in, and it almost makes me ask the question, well, given that you've played the whole one time already, why don't you go shorter off the tee to allow yourself to hit something a little fuller into the back there and, and actually um, try and play the spin on the shot? Well, but didn't he, didn't he didn't he go three wood off the tee on that hole? But as long as he is with the length of that hole, he could probably go with that driving iron of his and still get himself some, some sort of a wedge in his hand. Well, See, so I, he, I, he was 87 yards away. Go uh, go ahead, Kyle. Well, I, I just, no, I love this because to me, I I don't see all this stuff that Mark sees in terms of like his 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 strong like club face that impact like all all this different stuff. I'm like, I don't know. It seems like adrenaline to me, you know, and. I, I, I love this discussion because I think it is I think Mark what Mark is doing right now is is telling people like different things that are going on that they don't normally think about. And I think that's fascinating. And I think the idea of like of like clubbing down off the tee, I mean that's just such a it's it's kinda of, it's sort of like a foreign concept, I think, to people who watch golf sometimes. To me, I don't even think about that. And then you're like, Well, you wanna have a good you wanna have a good number off the tee so you can really go at it because he likes to hit the ball as hard as he does. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I, I love that. I love that angle or that take on it because I think it's pretty unique. And, and you're right about that, Kyle. I, I agree with you, but here's, here's a little bit more into that scenario. He hit it to 87 yards away. Okay. Now 87 yards, if you're going to hit uh, the full shot from 87 yards is probably a lob wedge. Uh, and that may not even be a full shot. So now when you're hitting a full lob wedge, that's going to spin the most in your bag. So at that point, you're not going to hit a full lob wedge because you know that that's going to fly 87 yards or 90 yards, and it's going to spin probably all the way to the front of the green. So now you have to club up uh, to, to try to control the spin, and now you're probably in your middle sand wedge, your 54-degree sand wedge or something like that. It's rare that you would hit – a pitching wedge or a gap wedge from 87 yards. It's just not a situation you get very often. So you haven't practiced that shot. Now you're under the highest amount of pressure. So you go with your, your sand wedge, probably a 54 degree wedge, if I had to guess. And you hit that shot in there and that leaves you with that club selection, about a three yard window to hit it into right on the back edge of the green. If it skips, it's off the back. And, and if it doesn't skip, well, there's still a chance that it spins off the ridge. So it's a very difficult shot to get close from that yardage. Now, I, I had the same thought. Maybe he should have clubbed back and given himself a fuller shot in. But at that point, we're talking about a, a, sand, a full sandwich. If you lay back to 110, that's going to spin off the green. You're going to be in a very similar circumstance. If you're 120 out, you are probably looking at a gap wedge. Maybe a three-quarter pitching wedge would stop. So that that's kind of the line. I think you have to lay back to 120 or 130 and at that point i mean you're giving cam smith who's what 90 yards away or so you're you're giving him i think cam smith is actually 111 yards away but it just feels like you're giving him such a a big advantage in that scenario and the statistics that these guys are running these days they're saying get it as close to the hole as you can the closer you are the tighter your proximity will be uh, it, it's a it's a new wave in the game where players aren't playing to numbers. And we saw it at Kapalua last week. They were on their layoffs on that hole. Nobody could reach the green in two, but everybody was still hitting three wood or five wood unless they were in a situation where they could reach the green. All the layups were still with a three wood. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And, and, and 
pardon me, I was speaking under correction about the yardage. I was sort of paying attention but not listening to the announcer. Um, you're right. You know, coming from a little farther away, you, the guy who's closer has the advantage. But the, there are ext- extenuating circumstances. And when you've got a situation where the green is spinning much, you've got to flat one in lower or you've got to try and take the spin off one. Now, if you've got a crosswind or whatever the case might be, that's a little difficult. So getting a straighter face club in the hand is sort of imperative in the situation. So ordinarily, uh, in, in regular situations, yeah, you bash it as close to the green as you can on the tour. But, but when it starts to play like it was, um, I, I felt like it would have behooved him a little bit more because he geared down off most of the tees coming in. I mean, he, did, he barely hit driver until I think the 18th hole where he pinned one. Um, so, so he's comfortable gearing down. I was just surprised at, at the shot selection, um, given the circumstances. Now, you know Kyle, if, if he, I just got to ask you this question real quick. If, if he hit a, uh, seven iron or a six iron off the tee, maybe even a five iron off the tee and left himself 140 yards and ended up losing the playoff, what do you think you, what would you be writing about? What would be your story <laughs> if he did that and lost? Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. Uh, he, and that's why, I mean, I, I think, and it's hard though. Are you, are you, are you playing to like satiate, you know, me, the writer who's 4,000 miles away or whatever? Or are you playing because no, of like, of course not. But, but like, but it's a real thing because you, you get asked all these questions afterwards. Why'd you hit six iron off the tee? Why'd you not hit dry, you know, whatever. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I don't, I don't know what's going through your head, but it, it is fascinating to think about. And to me, this whole discussion, the thing I was thinking about when you guys were talking, it's, it really speaks to, you don't like all the talk right now is like, gotta have a 10,000 yard course to keep the, to keep the scores down. You don't, you know, you just have to create uncomfortable situations for players in these tournaments. And it's, and it's, it's hard to do. Um, you know, I know this is a classic course and it, it's, it, it, you can't do that everywhere, but the stuff that we're talking about, you can apply it elsewhere and not have tournaments where the score, winning scores 30 under par, uh, and you don't have to build a course that's 10,000 yards. So I think, I think that part of it for me is super interesting. Well, I tell you. Um, a former winner of this event, Justin Thomas. It was a gear that he added to his game, and it propelled him to a FedEx Cup and the world's number one ranking. And that's that little off-speed wedge, kind of the two-finger wedge, sort of like the guy who comes out in baseball and can throw the gas at 95-plus. You know, when he learns to throw the change-up, then he becomes unhittable. And, and at the highest level of the game, they've all got speed, and it's the golfer who can manage the speed well is the golfer that sort of comes out trumps eventually in the end. And it was something that Ben Hogan said. You know, Hogan was like, it's not about where the ball ends. It's about what's the window it's leaving my club face through because he believed it was all about trajectory control. So as a result, speed and spin. And, and again, just to get back to it, you know, it's, it's that's hard for Steele. He hits the ball low anyway and strong with that big grip. Um, I think the takeaway for the listener should be, well, you know, it's not like these guys are choking oftentimes. Sometimes you're caught just in a really hard position and you're asked to hit a shot that's awkward and you don't pull it off because you've got one chance and you've got pressure rampant and all this sort of stuff. So it, it's just winning a, an event in the final analysis is just very, very hard. Now, hey, Mark, bring- hey, Mark, what's the uh, what's the, the shot that JT won Capoeira with last week? The – well, I think just those little wedges. I mean, his proximity, yeah. his iron play was fantastic the entire week. 
But if you watched him, and I talked about it on my podcast, there was a, an instance in the final round there with those heavy wins. I think it was on hole 10, maybe. Yeah, it was on 10 before the par 3. He's got 145, I believe the number was, and he's hitting 6-iron into the breeze. Now, he can move that 6-iron about 200 if he needs to, but he made this little halfway pass, just balanced, clipped the ball away there, hole high. The trajectory was magnificent and hit a number of wedges where it wasn't high spinning and hard. These things were going in there lower, one jump, some check, and then release some. And so it's it's something that the greats rarely are able to do. And it's something that, you know, McElroy is getting better at. Tiger is a master at the thing. Um, Ernie else was always good. But it's the ability to manage speed and spin. Yeah, it's it, it was the – I think he had 110 into 18 at Kapalua on the third playoff hole. Oh, and he hits it to – and he hits it to three feet. And it's like this, it's, it's not really a knockdown, but it's, it's definitely, or I don't think it was a full shot. It's and, yeah. Do I? It, it's, it's a, it's a decent sized swing. It's just not full speed. Yeah. And that, the, the ability to do that, I mean, the touch you have to have to be able to do, I don't know why we're talking about Justin Thomas right now, but the touch you have to have to be able to do something like that is, is crazy. I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's it's a skill that not a ton of guys have, and uh, it's why we see guys like DJ and JT and and uh, you know even somebody like John Rahm winning a ton of tournaments. It's, that's what separates these guys, right? It's an yeah, you're right. It's an old school thing, but you look at JT. It's because Jimmy Johnson got on the bag. Ricky Fowler learned it because of Butch Harmon. Dustin Johnson learned it because of Butch Harmon. It's the first thing that Butch said to him. He's like. That driver of yours is going to become a weapon when you can wedge the thing close after your big mammoth bludgeon tee shot. And so they, they, you learn it sort of old school style where a number of the modern youngsters, they've got that going to go still. Like I think of a Hovland who is unreal, but he goes full bore at everything. And, and Matthew Wolf has got a little change of speed about him. Morikawa is probably the best of the bunch at that sort of thing. But it, it's an old school sort of an approach that is still very relevant on certain golf courses around the world. It's a skill that to me, when I think of Justin Thomas hitting those shots, I think of the 2018, uh, the last tournament at Firestone uh, in the Bridgestone Invitational. Everybody was yeah. spinning wedges like crazy off the green. And Justin Thomas won that week much for the same reason. He was great with the driver and, and he made a lot of putts, but he was able to hit these soft wet, these soft arm wedges that came off with not a lot of spin and, and he was able to get the ball close in situations where others couldn't get it close. And it was really the separator, uh, in that week. But uh, there are a couple of great tease opportunities you guys have left me with here. One is Justin Thomas and he's a guy we have to get to because he, uh, was not a factor this week, although still a story. And the other is shooting 30 under par in some of these tournaments. A course where players go just about as low as anywhere on the PGA Tour, Trinity Forest will not, uh, the, the AT&T Byron Nelson will not return to Trinity Forest after 2020. So we, we have to get to that. We have to get to Justin Thomas missing the cut. We have to get to a couple of these other players on top of the leaderboard. But first, we're going to take a break from our sponsors. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution 
for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there, and I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four our listeners. Uh, first-time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Back on the first cut, some great conversation about this playoff that's happened here. Uh, it, it's a really, it, it's a fascinating tournament to watch, especially Mark from an instruction point of view. Um, but, but a couple of the other players here that weren't involved in the playoff that had great tournaments, Webb Simpson comes to mind, man. And this guy has been in the mix in so many tournaments of late, but he just, he can't seem to get the job done. We have a, a little um, award on a new breed of golf. We, Webb Simpson was the winner of the lip out award last year. And the lip out award is the player that has the best year, but is unable to get a win. And Webb Simpson won that award. And, and right now, the way that he started this year, he's on pace to do it again. What did you make of Webb's tournament, Mark? <laughs> well, both Carl and I are big Webb Simpson fans. I know I'm speaking on his behalf because the guy just goes about his business. He's figured out what he's got to do. Um, he was very close last year at the RSM Classic. Obviously, he's got the Players' Championship and the U.S. Open. So he's no scrub, okay? Um, and, and the thing that I love about Simpson's tournament, which is – his play, which is why I th he's always going to be around the around the block, is it, it's a very reliable technique. He's a beautiful putter now. He's sort of one of the leading putters on the tour, and he and Paul Tesori have a wonderful relationship. And and the thing that Webb does that I think he does as well as anyone in the in the world's game is he's sort of comfortable with who he is. You know, he, he realizes what he's got to do, and he's and he's going to do just that. He's not going to do anything else. So. For me, Simpson's going to continue to put himself in position, and his game lends itself to to hard golf courses and to major events. So, 
I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion he, he won't win your award this year again because there's there's a thing there's a thing about inevitability with Webb, and there's certain golf courses like Wyndham, um, certainly uh, Quail Hollow, uh, the Players' Championship, TPC Sawgrass, that stadium course, that just lend themselves to it. And then, of course, there's Wing Foot. He's won a U.S. Open. Yeah. It's, it's a big golf course, but when par is a good score, Webb, Webb is your guy. Yeah, I think I think Webb is the most underrated guy in the world after you get outside the top ten. It's either probably him or I don't know, maybe Sung Jay down at thirty four. Uh I, I just I mean, six top six top tens in his last fifteen. He doesn't miss cuts. I mean he just doesn't he just doesn't miss cuts. I mean, you know what you're getting from him every single week. He starts the season three straight top tens. Uh, you know, he doesn't, uh, maybe win as much as you would like, but his, he, he is just, he, he's really improved his game to where it's like, I don't, I don't totally know where the holes are. You know, we're talking about this with JT. Now, I'm not saying that's as good as JT. I don't, I don't think that. I don't think anybody thinks that, but in terms of holes, uh, he's, he's really impressive. And, uh, he is somebody who I think over the next couple of years is really going to, you know, whatever, whatever the end of his career, like whatever we look back on and say, you know, that's what it was. I think, I think you're going to see a lot of that happening over the next two or three years. Well, look, let's, let's not discount. Sorry, sorry, Greg. He's had five victories in his career. He's had 70 top tens. Um, he's made north of $35 million. <laughs> it's a pretty stout career he's had and he's still got a lot of golf in front of him because he's, 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 he's sort of young for his age because he's in good shape, but he's, he's just got a wise head on his shoulders. And he said to me once, and this is why I believe he plays well in, in big events, he goes, my goal is to not let a mistake cost me two strokes. He goes, I'm okay with making a mistake as long as I just spill one because I can get that one back. So he plays a game where he's going to attack when things are going right, but he's also not going to be rash. So as a result, you know, he's not going to go away when he's in uh, – in contention, so uh, I feel like just again because of that, there's an inevitability about him that's that that, that, is, that is alluring to me. It, it is a remarkable career, uh, a remarkable career. Excuse me. You you look at him in the past uh, four years, if you include this year where he stands. I mean, he hasn't finished outside the top twenty in FedEx Cup points. He he's already at one point four million dollars earned this year, um, and in that stretch, he's been over over three point two million dollars. For, for four years in a row, basically, assuming he'll get there this year. Well, and the thing about Webb is he's, he's found his identity. And Webb has found his formula that works for him. And it's different than it is for JT or Tiger or DJ or some of these longer hitters. Because, uh, Kyle, you were mentioning the holes. Where's the hole in his game? If you are going to call it a hole, it's his distance. That's the only thing yeah. that separates him from these great players. So it's all that means is it's a different formula. There's a different style of play that he has to win. And that doesn't mean that he can't win on big golf courses. He still hits it plenty far. I, I agree with Mark. I think a wing foot is a place that's going to set up really nicely for him. One, he moves it right to left. He, he knows how to move it right to left for sure. He is an excellent short game. And he, he's got this lock arm putting with the, with the claw grip that seems to be the answer to the struggles he had with the anchor man. When the anchor band hit, it really hurt him. If you if you look at his career and his dollars earned, there he's kind of over that two million dollar mark ever since he gets on tour every single year. And then all of a sudden in 2016, he's at down to 1.4 million dollars. 
Uh, and that, that kind of was the year with the anchor band that he had a hard time figuring it out. And he, he seems to really have figured it out with this arm lock, uh, claw grip style. So I, I expect big things for Webb as well. Yeah, I, I, and I didn't mean to discount his career. He's had a great I mean, a U.S. Open and a player's is an unbelievable career. I just think his ceiling over the next couple of years is as high as anybody's outside of the top five guys, maybe outside of, like, your Rory, JT, DJ group, Rom, Tiger, maybe. Now, uh, he's, I, do you think he has a chance of getting to Hall of Fame status? He's eligible now with the players in the U.S. Open, but he's only got five wins. I do. Yeah, I do. Because I think he could win another major. I think he could win another players type tournament. I don't know what that is. It's basically just the players is in the players category. Um, but I think he could over the next three or four years, let's say he wins like four more and one of them's a major. You're like, okay, well, nine wins, two majors, a players. I, I mean, that's like a, that's a legit career. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what the, what the Hall of Fame will be at the point of his retirement. But I, I really, I'm really, I, I think his ceiling is really high over the next two, three, four years. I certainly agree with that. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge Webb Simpson fan, just like the two of you guys. Um, but, but a, a lot more to get into. Some of this stuff doesn't have to do with the Sony Open. Um, well, we did start, we, we had, let's go, let's go here. Let's go to our one and done league up. Yes. Yes. Uh, so uh-huh. we have a one and done league here on the first cut. And basically you pick a player to win, uh, or, or you pick a player each week. And once you've picked that player, you can't pick them again through the year. And it's calculated by dollars earned. And in the league, we had a, a Corey, uh, Corey Connors pick. We had a Charles Howell. We had two Charles Howell, the third picks. We had two Sung Jm picks and two Colin Morikawa picks. Now, uh, what's interesting about that is everyone was either five or six under par, every single player. So we're all within one shot. But the way we got there is just really disturbing, especially for me. I picked Sung Jm and he made a triple bogey on the 16th hole. That, and if you pick Colin Morikawa, well, he had a three putt from seven feet, as you already mentioned, Kyle. And, and that was just quite disturbing to me. Why, okay, here's a question, boss. Uh, why are you burning Sung JM so early? Uh, that, that's, that's, that's what I was wondering. I think that you, you gotta consider future events now. You're just gonna, well, you're gonna empty the, the, the chamber before, uh, the, the Masters. Well, I mean, who do you want me to, you want me to pick Graham McDowell? It would have been a great pick now, but I, look, there's only, there's what, 40 events, 42 events. Sung Jay is a great player. I had a, feeling that he was going to have a great week. And I think you have to get out to a good start here. It's not a, a thing where you want to just start picking dark horses because there's a lot of weeks left. I think there will be other players in these tournaments where um, where they can do really well. And Sung Jay was right in position. I mean, that earns a, you can you can really get off to a good start, get off to a good lead if you pick a winner in, in the first week. So my strategy is let's front load it, let's get a big lead. And then by the time we're down the road and I'm looking at who I have left, now I've seen players. Now I have opportunities to choose. Uh, maybe there's a, another Matthew Wolf that isn't even on the PGA Tour yet, and he comes out and is is playing like uh, like crazy, and I can choose him. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, there's some merit to that. Uh, the, the the good thing that you got going on for you, because I've been in a league before with Rob Bolton, and I hope he's listening to this because I won his league two times out of four years. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> And when we were working on FedEx Cup points, and in the playoffs, the points are quadrupled. 
and twice I came back with saving guys like Rory and company for um, the Tour Championship and and, and and playoff runs. So it, you'd have to bear stuff in mind that way. But with us making just money throughout the year, there's some merit in firing early. But I was looking at Sung JM and and a course like Innersbrook. I mean, that is up that guy's alley. And Ooh, so yeah. There's some there's some spots down the track that I'm saving Sungard for. Um, I'm I'm certainly always going to go for Howell and these sorts of guys that play the West Coast. Howell, Snedeker, that sort of crowd. They they play the West Coast events uh, pretty well and pretty often. Yeah, and you don't have to worry about the schedule with uh, with Sungjae because he's just I mean he's entered in every event, so you're you're good to go there. The guy that I'm saving, I think I might have I think I might have traded all of my speed stock for Colin Morikawa. At some point over the last two weeks. So I'm guessing that's not you're not one of the guys that picked Colin Morikawa. No, no, I'm not. I had Charles Howell. We made the smart pick this week. Yeah, me and me and me and Mark were were locked in. Okay, there we who, go. Who whoever picked I don't these team names need to be amended to people's actual names, but whoever picked Corey Connors, you got lucky on Sunday because he gained three point seven strokes. Uh Oh no, I thought that was putty. That Never putty? mind. You, you didn't. <laughs> you, you didn't get lucky. He he usually gains three point seven strokes tee to green. I thought that yeah, was on on the on the putting greens. My bad. Just Corey Connors is a good pick this week. So who I I don't know who Happy Barnrad is. I, I agree with you. The team names are a little bit tricky here. Um, so I guess I I can't see now. Emmy and KP that makes sense. So good yeah. good job for you two there. That, that's not hard to figure out. Charles the Sultan Howell. the Sultan of Honolulu. Charles Howell. Yeah, he is the leading money winner all time there. So uh, not yeah. a bad pick. It's well, a great we, pick. We, 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 I think we're a little smarter than we sound. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a little bit picks. of luck involved in this kind of thing. Don't look at our picks next week. <laughs> so I, it, when it, for me, I wanted to pick a, I wanted to pick Webb Simpson this week. I thought Webb was going to win. He, I picked him to win, and there, it's a hard thing. Do you, when you're choosing a winner, do you choose your winner in the one and done? Do you save a guy that you think is going to win? That that's a hard balance for me. And I'm not as experienced as you, Mark, being a, oh. a multi a multi time winner of one and one one and done week. So <laughs> I you know I, I'm learning a little bit here too. I've got it on my resume, by the way. Um, no, what, <laughs> the the thing I always try to do was the events that they're no cuts and they're guaranteed points. That's where I'd use my stars because, like, you, you, you hate to use a Justin Rose somewhere and then have him miss the cut because it's it's likely. Like this week, who would have thought that Justin Thomas was going to miss? He's won here before. He's comfortable on the course, just coming off a victory. I mean, he's flying higher confidence-wise, and he misses the cut. So I, I like to use the stars in World Golf Championships events or big um, points, well, extra dollar events like – like the Players' Championship or the U.S. Open or the Masters or those sorts of things. So that's where I'm saving the guns for, and then hopefully you get lucky once in a while at the other events. Well, I'm t- I got my notebook out. I got my pen. I'm running out of ink here, so thank you for the uh, for the great tips. But um, conti- continuing on here, we, we mentioned the uh, Trinity Forest and the AT&T Byron Nelson event. After 2020, it will be leaving that golf course. Kyle, when, when you look at this story, what, what do you make of this? Did you like this golf course? Do you think this was – a failed experiment, or what do you make of it? I, I love this golf course. I've played it. I've been there a couple times. I've walked it. I've covered tournaments there. I, I get why it doesn't work. Um, I think that it, it it it's it's complicated, right? Because if you go shoot, you know, I mean, and, and we 
the, the problem is that it's set up like sort of a facsimile of the old course, right? Like this kind of ground game and, uh, you know, not, no trees out there. And the problem is that the old course and, and these places in Scotland, they have, they have weather that kind of guards their, their scores, like keeps the scores from being just exorbitant. And so when you go to a place like Trinity Forest and it's, you know, 88 degrees out and sunny, guys are going to shoot 61, 62, 63. And so it, it, it's, it's a hard course because, or it's a, it's a hard situation because you can't have a course like that and, the only thing that can protect a course like that is weather and you just don't get it here in Dallas. So I, I get why it's not like the most popular thing in the world. Well, in the so two, I, in the two editions where the event was held there, um, the, the first time when Aaron Wise pipped Mark Leishman, it was a scoring fest. And then of course last year, Sun Kang won. The wind only blew like one of the eight rounds that I've been there. I know. I know. Designed around the wind. It was a super golf course for me. Having gone to the Byron Nelson before, at last Kalinas, I mean, the fans would turn out there en masse. It was a party there nonstop, and, and of obviously the salesmanship club, they raised huge dollars for the charity there, there in Dallas, which was awesome. Um, whereas Trinity Forest made a lot of sense, but it's just the crowds for me, Carl, were always disappointing because there's very little shade out there. I think there's like one tree on the golf course, and then it's cooking out and 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 so i can see why folks would be more inclined to maybe not make the trip and just watch the thing on television yeah when I, look I took at, I, go ahead well, well i took my my family out there and my wife was like this is this is the worst there's no trees where am i where are we supposed to sit you know and so i you know i i don't know if i don't know i don't know what's gonna happen with the tournament in the future it's it's an interesting situation I just wonder if they, because it sits right before the PGA Championship and the schedule, if you're going to play the week before a major, you would think you're trying to get prepared for the tournament. And I look at a a wide open golf course where, and remember, this is the PGA we're talking about. It's not preparing you for the open. So a wide open golf course with wide fairways, you may or may not get wind. I wonder if the preparation just isn't there. They'd they'd rather just take the week off. Maybe that's what led to the the disappointing um, turnout for for some of these players. Maybe it's also because the Wells Fargo is the week before. So maybe it's just a tough spot in the schedule. Maybe it has something to do with the golf course. I think that'll yet to be seen. I, I guess next year they're looking at the PPC Four Seasons Resort, which was the home of the Nelson from 1983 to 2017. They're saying that's likely to be just a one-year return. Um, and they're thinking about the new – this is an idea, again, that's just been floated – um, and, and they're thinking about the PGA of America's headquarters in Frisco, uh, which is going to host the Ryder Cup in 2027 and a 2034 PGA championship. So that could be an interesting turn of events. Well, I'm excited to see how those two golf courses turn out. But uh, as for TPC Four Seasons, uh, have you seen that golf course, Mark? What do you think of it? Uh, yeah, I've been there for many a Nelson event. It's it's a great golf course. It's always exciting. Uh, you're gonna see birdies made, but it's it's challenging coming in. I mean, you've got 18, which is a beast, and 17, which is a demanding par three. 16, there's a five that you can get after. So it's a fun finish, and they pack the folks in around there. Uh, just thousands upon thousands of fans, and everyone's having a grand time. And then afterwards, the parties at that Four Seasons Resort are are, are incredible. And there's been a, a, a great honor roll of champions around there. I mean, you've had Garcia win, you've had all sorts of guys, Jason Day. And so I, I think, I think that makes a lot of sense and it's, it's easy to get to, there's just a whole lot of reasons why it works and the players love to stay there. Um, so, um, 
I, I, I read about the other venues that were being floated, but, but I think at least going back to the four seasons one more time, Las Colinas as I know it by, um, is certainly a good idea. Definitely something that you know is going to work. So, uh, I, I think it'll be a nice test to see if, is it the venue? Is it the place on the schedule? What's going on with this event? Cause it is a great event with a great history and it's one you would think would be fairly popular. Um, so, so we'll definitely see how, how that'll play out. So, um, well, I, a lot to digest here. We, we got into a lot of things in, in this show and, uh, that's all we have for you here tonight. But thank you so much for listening. Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining and Mark, you as well. You can get Kyle on, on Twitter at, at Kyle Porter CBS and you can get Mark on Twitter at Mark underscore Immelman. Make sure to give them a follow and also make sure to rate and review and subscribe to our Apple Podcasts and on Spotify as well if you enjoyed what you hear today. So I'm Greg Ducharme. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you later. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. Men's National Team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also, just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life, while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.